Tonight's reading is from 1 Peter 5, 12-14. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Well, tonight uh, we finish up First Peter. Uh, next week is what the church traditionally calls Christ the King Sunday. It's the last Sunday of the church year, and we'll, we'll think a little bit about the sovereignty of Christ, and then we'll start Advent together the following week. This year we're going to look at Hope and hope in the Christmas, the Christmas story. Well, Peter starts to wrap up this uh, letter in the same way a lot of letters at that time would have been wrapped up. He mentions the person who was actually writing it out for him as he dictated. He gives some greetings in a kind of a code way from the church at Babylon, which meant Rome, and he wishes them grace and peace. But one of the things that's a little different about uh, what he does here is he slips in the gospel, right in the middle of it, which is what he loves to do. And by that I mean this great encouragement in verse 12. He says, I've been exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. What does he mean by this is the true grace of God? What's the true grace of God? Well, if you go back to verse uh, 10, we get kind of a summary of, of this letter to suffering churches in northern Turkey, written about 60 A.D. Peter says, And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And if you've been working through this study with us, you'll, you'll notice that that's really been the, the theme of the whole book, that yes, you're going through some very difficult times. You might even lose your life. Persecution was starting in Rome. Nero would do the horrible persecution in 64 AD where he actually burned Christians alive. Word started to spread about all this. There was much fear about the culture and collapse. There was a lot of uh, impermanence in the urban centers. Uh, plague and famine were, were ravaging many parts of the world at that point. So a lot of anxiety. And Peter's basic message is, is uh, you can find hope and comfort because you have a God who will care for you. That's the grace that he's talking about. And he flushes this out all through the letter. I, I, I took a moment this week and I tried to identify all the phrases where Peter tries to describe God's grace. I'll just read a few to you. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope. He's given us an inheritance that is imperishable. He guards our faith with his power. He ransomed us from the futile ways of our ancestors. He's made us born again by the living and abiding word of God. He is building us into a spiritual house a royal priesthood. He has chosen us to be a people for his own possession. He has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so we might die to sin and live to righteousness. He has healed us with his wounds. He saves us through the resurrection of Christ. He has given us spiritual gifts. He is a faithful creator who cares for our souls when we suffer. He gives grace to the humble. He's called us to eternal glory in Christ. So this has really been a wonderful letter about the grace that we enjoy in Christ. And the last thing he says to them is, this is the true grace, stand firm in it. Now, let's think just a little bit differently about grace for a minute. That's a common term if you're familiar with Christian uh, language at all. Let's think of it like this. We all have deep needs in our hearts. Uh, We have the need to be loved. We have the need to be forgiven. We have the need to have meaning and purpose in our life. We have the need to find freedom from guilt and shame. We have the need for peace, freedom from anxiety. How do we satisfy those needs? Well, God's answer is through the gospel of grace. How can I have hope? It's because my God loved me and came to me and died for me and draws me into the life of the Trinity and gives me a story bigger than myself. That's how I can have hope. How can I have inner peace? It's because I'm beginning to know the one who is peace. How can I find forgiveness for my sins? How can I be free from the stain of shame that seems to soil my soul like poison because of his work on the cross? God's grace satisfies the deepest needs, the deepest desires, the deepest longings of the human heart. Now, if there's a true grace it follows that there are false graces, right? That there are ways that you and I try to satisfy the deepest needs of our heart in distorted ways. How do you do that? How are you doing that tonight? I'd suggest to you that there's just a lot of inner turmoil in your life tonight. Um, you're having a hard time sleeping. You're struggling with focusing. I'm sure there's a lot of situational things that are going on. But one of the reasons could be that you're not standing firm in true grace. But 
you're trying to satisfy those deep needs in distorted ways. And that can never lead to peace. I just made a list of some of the things. I'm probably guilty of all these. Here are some false graces, distorted ways to deal with the deepest needs of our heart. There's numbing, you know, addictions, shopping, binge watching. There's distracting, always being on your phone. Projecting, put all your hopes onto some celebrity or codependent lover. Achieving, if I get another degree, another job, another status symbol. Controlling, if I can just get five pounds off, if I can control my son, then I'll have meaning. Demanding, I demand from life more than what it can give. Masking, I present a false self to the world. Denying, I just live on the surface and ignore. Withdrawing, I pull away from the peoples and situations that hurt me. Raging, my life is filled with anger because I'm hurt and disappointed. Learning, if I can just learn more about a problem, then I can control it. (laughs) That's my favorite. What's your false grace? Can you think of any way tonight that you're trying to satisfy the deepest needs of your heart apart from the love of Jesus? Well, how do we stand firm in grace? And and I was just thinking tonight as as we were worshiping in such a beautiful way, somehow I feel like this is something the Lord has for us in the coming year. And you know, as Christians, the year starts two weeks from tonight that learning how to stand in grace, somehow I think that's a part of what we're trying to do this year. The first thing I I think we have to do is we need to learn about grace. It's not obvious, isn't it? It's not how we're born. It's very counterintuitive. Grace is not the way the world works. And so we need to study books like Romans. And I'd suggest a book that a counselor gave me once called uh, Shame and Grace by Lewis Smed. It's the best book I've ever read on grace. We need to understand grace. Here's a tricky thing, though. Sometimes over the years I've noticed that ministers and ministries and authors who talk the most about grace (laughs) are some of the most legalistic teachers that I've ever seen. I just... I don't know how to. I don't know how that works. And I was listening to this sermon, and you know, it was like grace was on the logo, grace was on the cassette tape, grace was on you know the pulpit, you know. And I was listening to it, and it was the most powerful exposition of uh, the doctrine of grace that I'd ever heard. And it was all done. I just felt terrible. <laughs> so, so something's not right there. I don't know what it is. I don't. I don't know what it is. So we need to learn about grace. And then we need to be exposed to our anti-grace narratives. I I had a dream. Uh, I'm in a Roman Colosseum, and it's filled with uh, spectators, and it's one, you know, dreams are goofy, and so it's modern day, but all the spectators are, you know, first century, and they're all waiting to watch somebody killed. And the, the floor of the Colosseum turns into a football field, and the general tells me, 
that I have to go out and run a perfect pass play and I have to do the route perfectly. And if I catch the ball in between all the defenders, I'll live. And if I drop the ball, I'll die. I was talking with a friend about that, trying to unpack my dream. And I mean, you don't have to be Sigmund Freud to figure that one out, right? Um, that lie has been in with me as long as I can remember. If you don't run the play perfectly, you'll be killed. I think I told you once, but I'm getting older now, so repeating stories, you just kind of smile and nod like uh, Thanksgiving. <laughs> when I was in sixth grade, uh, I started to develop an ulcer uh, because I was so worried about getting into a prestigious college. I studied 30 hours once in sixth grade for a test. And when I went to college, I asked everybody how long they'd studied, and then I made sure I studied one hour more. I don't, my parent, parents weren't demons. I don't know where I picked that up. But I did. What's your, what's your narrative? What plays in your head? For me, standing in grace has been unearthing those and exposing those lies and trying to place them with the truth of the gospel. Well, and the last thing I think we do to stand firm in grace is we experience it, and that's why Christian community is so important. You know, that's why forgiveness is so important. I was talking with someone I care a lot about, and they're in a relationship that just went, was on a recreational activity they were doing, and the other person uh, has been pretty mean to them. And the person I was talking to has tried to reach out, tried to reconcile, but the other person wants nothing to do it and continues to treat them poorly. And this other person's a nice person. They're, they're not trying to follow Christ in any way. They're not living in any kind of community that supports that kind of work. And we just had this talk about You know, if, if, if you're not living in grace, and if you're not living in a community that is trying to practice the rhythms of grace, why would you forgive? Why not just be mean? That's why forgiveness among us is so important, because we're, we're going to mess it up all day long. It starts from the top. I'll lead the way in that, but... Uh, we're going to mess it up all day long, but we want to taste just a little bit of the kingdom in here. One of the ways that you and I experience grace is that when we mess up, we forgive each other. It's one of the most powerful experiences a Christian can have. There's someone you need to forgive tonight. One of the things I'm learning about forgiveness is they're like those little fish that kind of come up out of the, the bottom and you try to grab them and then they go right back down. I find that the Lord will kind of show me something and if I don't act on it, I forget it real quickly. I was in a conversation earlier this week and 
clear as day. I just, I just had this sense that I had wronged somebody. And, and I had to write them a note before I went home, or I knew I would, I'd forget about it. Is there someone you need to extend grace to tonight? I think that's one of the ways that we grow in grace as we experience grace. Well, what happens when we start to do this? We start to stand in grace. I can think of a couple of things. One is we, be, we become free to be ourselves. And by that I mean the person that God is creating us to be. I'm not sure I'm right about this. I'll throw it out. I'm beginning to think that much of our Christian behavior is more rooted in the expectations of everybody else than in what Jesus wants. And for, I don't know why I, re, I remember this, but we had this many years ago, 20-something years ago, we had this class on parenting in the church where I was pastoring. And how can you mess that up, right? I mean, parenting? <laughs> Maybe I should get, move on here. But, you know, uh, well, we're just going to raise godly kids, and so we're going to, oh my goodness. It was a civil war, and there were, you know, the breastfeeders and the non-breastfeeders, and the, the spankers and the non-spankers, and the, you know, there was one guy that had a big ministry with this book, and another guy with this book, and books that go back and forth, and uh, golly, it just got so ugly. And I, I, I think now, looking back on it, it, part of it is, we're less sensitive to, how does God want me to raise my child? And more is, how do, how do the, the popular people around me raise their kids? And what's a Facebook-worthy approach towards raising my child? <laughs> One of the things that happens when you start to taste grace and you become just this radical sense that you are loved by God, one of the things that happens you don't have to raise your kid like everybody else. Can I have like a little amen on that? Okay. You want to homeschool? Homeschool. Send them public school? Send them public school. There, there's this beautiful thing that happens when we step away from groupthink and really begin following Jesus. And it also can be real scary. <laughs> because I want you all to think I'm doing the right thing. So that's something that happens. We start standing in grace as we start to, uh, we, we start to um, be able to step away from the group. Secondly, I, I think we get a little better at giving grace to others. Jesus says, Paul says, forgive as you've been forgiven. Thirdly, I think we become less anxious when you start to step into grace. Think for a minute about anxiety and fear. Um, 
one of the first thing I notice is that my dogs don't struggle with it. And I'm embarrassed to admit this, but there are days when I come home and there they are, and I think, man, their life is not that bad. <laughs> you know, I got, it'd be kind of nice to be a dog. I mean, every day at five, you get your little bowl full, and then that's you know all you need. They don't worry about why don't why aren't my dogs anxious? Because they don't they can't think about the future. We had a dog that was dying. Actually, we've got one now that's not doing too well. I think we worry about him all the time. He doesn't care. (laughs) He's got his five o'clock bowl. It's all he needs. You know, Mark Twain said something like, uh, I have suffered many terrible things in my life, most of which never happened. (laughs) So much anxiety is about either, okay, I wonder how this is going to work out, Or, I don't measure up, I'm not performing, I'm going to miss the ball. And when you start to stand in grace, it just doesn't matter as much. You know who holds the future. You know you don't need to catch the ball. And so I think the edge comes off of Anxiety. Something else happens when we start to stand in grace. We're able to enter into relationships without so much neediness. You know, one of the best ways to destroy a marriage or a friendship or even a relationship with a son or a daughter is if I have all this hidden need that is pent up in me and I come into the relationship demanding you to fill all that need and of course the other person can't and before you know where that goes. But if you're awake and conscious and you're starting to understand a little bit about grace and God's love for you and how accepted you are in the beloved, you can go into that relationship able to give and not just take. I also think when we start to stand in grace, we find comfort in loneliness. And this this week could be lonely for some of us. According to Time magazine this week, 42 million Americans suffer from chronic loneliness. And that loneliness weakens the immune system significantly. And we know we're built for community. There's no doubt about that. But when you start to understand grace and how, how loved you are, Loneliness can turn into solitude. And solitude is different. Solitude is a creative space where we encounter God and are energized to live out our purpose in the world. And that comes when we start to taste a little bit of grace. I think when we start to stand in grace, we experience healing from shame. I don't mean guilt. Guilt when I do something wrong, I ask for forgiveness and I hopefully experience God's forgiveness. And we should feel guilt when we do things wrong. I, I don't mean that. There's a, there's a place to feel that. What, what I mean is a sense of a film over me. 
uh, a stain over me that I carry into every relationship, every worship situation, uh, a, a sense that I've been befouled. And the, the way that we start to heal that is through grace and understanding grace. Understanding the love that washes away that stain. I think we also experience healing from trauma. When we begin to understand grace, you know, trauma has such a powerful impact on our souls. You know, why, why, why is there such an outpouring of anger lately over these horrible uh, abuses of powerful men against women. Why is there such an anger? Well, it's because millions of women have experienced trauma and had no place to go with it or nowhere to share it, nobody to hear it. And finally, now people are able to talk about it. How do you heal from that? What if you're one of the victims? What if, what if you put up with some abuse like that and you, you had to either be silent or lose your job? Where do you heal from that? Well, I think grace is a, is a part of it. When, when somebody violates my, your soul in a profound way, when you're scarred by violence or betrayal or an accident, Something shuts down and says, the world is not safe. I will not trust. And grace, I think, doesn't solve the problem of an unsafe world. It isn't safe, but grace at least says, you're not alone. And I'm with you. And then finally, I think when we start to stand in grace, we experience hope. You know, in the times in my life when I start to lose hope, I usually am believing that nothing will get better and things will never change. But when you understand grace, you begin to understand that the God of all hope is riding on his stallion above history and opening every possibility to change every hopeless situation. The true grace of God stand firm in it. And this Thanksgiving, take some time to give thanks for the true grace of God. Let's pray.